Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We are finishing Mark 48th sermon. Ooh, hot dog. All right, here we go. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 16. It's the resurrection. This is it, guys. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And they said to them, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he has told you. And they went out, and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, this is the word of God. I'm going to invite our lead pastor, Billy Glosson, up to walk us through this. Let me pray. Join me in praying. Heavenly Father, holy cow, thank you so much that you rose from the dead. Thank you so much that you came. You came in such a bizarre way um, to enter this, enter this world just as we do. Enter this dark, fallen world as a baby, helpless, needing everything all the time. But you didn't need to do that, God. But you still did. You stooped down low to save us. Thank you, Father, that you rose victoriously, conquering sin and death and the grave so that we could have victory. The only reason why any of us can stand before the king is because you, King Jesus, you are standing on our behalf always, always, always interceding for us. You have risen. Thank you so much that we get to see this illuminated in your word. I ask that you be with Billy, that you would hide him behind your cross, that you would order his thoughts, order his words, that you would be glorified and honored, and that our ears would be open to hear exactly what you need us to hear, Spirit, that you would convict us, that you would comfort us, and that you would remind us who we are in you and that is enough and that is so sweet and satisfying thank you father for raising your son from the dead and it's in his name i pray amen amen you guys can be seated i got it okay so it has been kind of a chaotic last couple weeks so hannah mentioned this earlier but for those of you who don't know um, a couple weeks ago, Hannah's dad went in for exploratory surgery, and that turned into triple bypass. Um, it was kind of an emergency, crazy situation. And I had saved up all my points because we were going to fly to Missouri and see some family, see some friends. 
and uh, we were going to, you know, I was like, you know, it's, for, it's, it's Samuel's first flight. We're going to fly first class. Nope. Instead, Hannah had to get an emergency flight out and uh, missed that flight. That was fun. And then had to hang out in the airport for, what, five hours? Oh, just like, you know, three or four, you know, whatever. Um, and so she ended up flying later that night with Samuel, but he did awesome. He was a trooper. And so just kind of an update on Hannah's dad. He's doing fantastic. Um, the surgery went really well. He's recovering well and, uh, you know, having to eat some heart-healthy stuff. So I didn't eat my normal butter-injected turkey, but that's okay, right? Because it was a joy to be together with family. Um, it was uh, a gift. One of the things that we did as well is um, our sending church, Karis Church in Columbia, Missouri, is where I served as a pastor, as a resident, as an intern for a number of years. Um, got to go back there last Sunday and preach and see a bunch of folks. And that was such a gift. It was such a joy. But man, I, I can't tell you guys how much I missed being here, um, how much I missed all of you. And I know that you guys um, had all kinds of stuff going on this last week, too, with Thanksgiving and all the chaos and it, that ensued with it and the joy of being together. But all of that leads us now to this season, which today is actually technically, as Hannah already said, the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is a season where we anticipate and we long for the return of Christ. Right? We, we join in with the church historically. We, we look back as Israel had for a long time yearned for, waited for, and anticipated a coming king. And that king came, and that was Jesus. And so today, we're, we're looking at a really amazing passage that I think actually works out beautifully with the start of Advent. Because we now live in, in, in hope, longing for Christ's return, but we live in the power of his resurrection. And that's what we're going to look at today. But next week, we're going to start a new sermon series through the themes of Advent. So you guys may wonder, we have these candles over here that we're going to start lighting next week. All these candles represent different themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And so we're going to dig through God's Word to see these things come to life as we anticipate the wonders of His love. Now, as we kind of land the plane here, we started Mark in August of 2020. Wow, it's been a minute, right? So we've been in this for over a year, and as Hannah already said, this is the 48th sermon in Mark. So we have really, really gone through the gospel of Mark, walking, again, line by line, verse by verse, and throughout all of that, God has been so kind to us as we've walked with Jesus, learning from his ministry, uh, learning from his actions. But interestingly enough, this is actually the most controversial passage in Mark. Not because of what it says, but because of what we didn't read. Right? So you may have been like, uh, Billy, there's more verses. And you may notice there's a bracket right above those verses that says some of the earliest manuscripts don't include it. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And you might be thinking, why, why did we not talk about that? Well, actually, most Bible scholars agree that that isn't from Mark. Uh, but was added later to make the book kind of wrap up a little more nicely. And what I hope to do today is to give you both hope as we enter Advent and to help give you confidence and show you how we can both trust in the Bible, right? Trust in the New Testament and why it's actually good that we have this bracketed passage and it gives us the confidence we need. So again, we started this series way back in August of 2020, talking about Mark writing to a Roman audience that's hidden away in catacombs for fear of death. And all of the stories that we've read about Jesus have led 
to this moment. Resurrection. This is the greatest day in all of human history. Jesus was crucified on Friday, and we now jump ahead to see some of his followers. Specifically, we see a group of women. Now, the thing that we we need to realize that can kind of go over our heads sometimes is that for Jesus to have women followers, specifically for Jesus to value women, that was extraordinarily countercultural. They were considered his, the fact that they were considered his, that they ministered to him, that they cared for him, it sets Jesus apart as a rabbi. Unfortunately, This is not necessarily their finest hours because we're going to see that they were devoted but unbelieving. So keep that in mind, devoted but not believing, right? Verse 1 of chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very, very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us when we, at the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. Now context, as we jump into this, the Jewish Sabbath ran from Friday evening through to Saturday evening. So the, 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 the minute kind of shows up, and, and it goes all the way up to Saturday night, and the, when the minute shows up that it's time, they're like, all right, let's go, and let's buy some spices, and let's go the next day, and let's anoint Jesus' body. Now, for them to do that was extraordinarily courageous, and it was very loving for them to do that, because Jesus was just crucified as a traitor and a heretic. And so they run this risk of being considered guilty by association, but it's also extremely loving because as far as they were concerned Jesus had been dead and in that climate his body had probably started to decompose and so they wanted to honor him with this act of gruesome devotion so they get up early the sun is just about to crest they make their way to the tomb and they realize something and and I love this Mark alone records this pretty comical discussion among the women it says uh Who's going to move the stone? Because as Mark points out, it's big. It's very large. You're not just going to go over there and be like moving it out of the way. It's going to take a considerable amount of effort. Now, the good thing is they get there and it's moved. They've organized everything. They've got the spices, but they never thought about how are we going to get this open. And I, I just love this because that's honestly kind of me. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll plan some stuff and I think I've got everything together. And then I kind of show up and I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot this massively important detail. And I could like, see myself on the phone with Hannah like, yeah, I'm headed there now. Wait a second, who's going to roll the stone? And Hannah being like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, hey, good news, never mind, it's rolled, it's gone. We're good, we're good. Now the thing is, the real embarrassment isn't that. The real embarrassment, again, they're devoted, but they're not believing. Because Mark records on at least three specific instances where Jesus says, I'm going to die And on the third day, rise again. Three different times he tells them, I'm going to get up. So why are they expecting a body at all? Because they don't believe, or at least they didn't trust Jesus. What you need to realize is there's a lot of us that we love Jesus, but we struggle to take him at his word. Because Jesus says some pretty crazy things. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Okay, okay. 
Jesus is very specific about who we can sleep with and when. Okay. Jesus tells us not to be anxious. Yeah, right, Jesus, I know, but like, didn't you hear about like Omicron and that sounds kind of like Decepticon and like, there's a lot to be afraid of. Jesus says, on the third day, I will rise. Sure you will. See, Coram Deo, this is why we gather as the people of God week in, week out, because lots of us love Jesus but we struggle to trust him at his word. And so we gather to encourage one another. We gather to encourage one another to have faith and to believe the things that he says are true. So these women were devoted. They weren't believing. And then we see them fearful, but invited. Verse five. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now Mark alone uses this word, alarmed. Mark alone uses the word to describe the response of the women. It's a word that talks about dread, terror, shock, fear. And as creepy as we think graveyards are today, right? Imagine somebody walking in, expecting to find a body, and then they see a person standing there in a tomb. It's terrifying, right? That'd be really creepy. You can imagine them being totally arrested by the presence of this angel. And he tells them, don't be afraid. And then he says, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. And it's important for us to remember that there were other tombs. And again, back then, Jesus was an extraordinarily popular name. And so the angel wants them to say, hey, look, you're in the right place. You're looking for the Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. That horrific scene that you witnessed on Friday... Yeah, that guy, he got up out of this grave. Now, this is important for us, Cormdale, because an empty tomb does not a believer make. An empty tomb does not a believer make. Because right from the get-go, everybody knew that the tomb was empty. And so there was all this debate about why, right? Right from the start, people were like, no, no, no. See, here's what happened. All those people who followed him, they stole the body. They wanted to keep the gag going. Some people thought, well, maybe Jesus wasn't actually dead. And as Josh walked us through last week, that's ludicrous, right? They think maybe he was just kind of still alive, and then he woke up and somehow pushed this massive stone out of the way. And then there are some who say, no, he rose again. Now, look, I realize it's a step of faith. It is. To get to that point is a step of faith. It's, it's a lot to take in. But notice how the angel invites them to investigate. He says, come, here, look where he was laid. He's gone. And so, God is with us in our questions. And as God is with us, we want to be like that for you here at Cormdeo. And if you're struggling, if you have questions, that's Okay. Scripture invites us to investigate, but it promises to meet us and answer our qualms and our worries and our woes. If you're not sold on all this stuff, I get it. I do. But, but investigate 
Look around, ask questions, because if Jesus got up, which I believe he did, then it's the greatest news that the world has ever heard. So they went loving Jesus. They were afraid at what they saw, but they were invited to believe, and then they were sent with a message of grace. Verse 7, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This is an awesome verse. Maybe one of my favorite in the entire Gospel of Mark. I love it. You see, for a lot of, a lot of us, if you've been walking with God for any length of time, we know that it's very rare to kind of have this amazing experience with God and then walk away kind of just like, meh. No, 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 no. You're going to walk away with an experience of the holy. More often than not, you're going to have a response on your part. And so, no surprise, when these women hear the greatest news that's ever been told, there's an expectation of them. The angel sends them out now to share this message of grace. Now, this in and of itself should actually be a little bit of a confidence booster for you and I, because as crazy as this is in first century Judaism, again, women were not held highly, but more specifically than that, women were not considered legal witnesses in a court. So four women could see a horrible train wreck of an accident, and the police wouldn't even hear them because they weren't considered a legitimate witness. Jesus doesn't care because he sovereignly ordained that the first witnesses to the empty tomb would be women. And if the early church was making this up because they're like, well, we're three years in, let's keep the thing going, it would have never written into the story women who are considered unreliable, not legal witnesses. So again, as uncomfortable as that is for us culturally, it is what it is. Because God values people. Women were picked to be the first to see, and the angel tells them three things. The first one, sort of kind of unwritten, is he's risen, right? The second one is go and tell his disciples that he will meet them in Galilee. And the third thing is, and I don't know if if this was just a little bit spicy, if the angel was being bitter, where he says, you know, just as he told you, right? Now, to realize the weight of this, you need to be familiar with these men. Because each and every single one of these disciples deserted Jesus. They fled at the hour of his greatest need. All of them, gone. And the women were there looking on in a distance, but the guys scattered. And Peter? Well, Jesus looked Peter straight in the eye and said, you will deny me three times. Peter's like, "Uh uh-uh, no way, not going to happen. And Jesus is like, Peter, I'm telling you, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, "Uh uh-uh, they might, but not me. I'll never deny you. And it would be just a few hours later, that Peter did the very thing Jesus said he would. He denies ever having even known who Jesus was. And then he makes eye contact with Jesus, realizes his betrayal and breaks down and weeps. Now in our economy, right? How do we treat people that would treat us like Peter treated Jesus? Someone says, I'm going to be with you, I'm your ride or die. And then in the end, they bail. 
think for many of us, we'd say, well, that person is dead to me. I want nothing to do with them. But friends, that's not the message of the gospel. It's not a message of judgment. It's not a message of condemnation. It's the message of grace, which is why I love that the angel specifically says, go tell his disciples and tell Peter. The angel makes a point to say Peter because Peter is not going to think that he's welcomed. Jesus told him point blank, and he denied him three times that he even knew who he was. This angel knew if he just said, go tell his disciples, Peter would think, well, that's not me. I failed. Peter on his own won't come back. So you you, got to tell him that he is welcome. And Coram Deo, so are you. No matter how you have failed, no matter what you have done, Jesus' message to you is one of grace, not judgment. Look, Jesus did not come to this earth and die on the cross because we were all such stellar examples of humanity. He came because we had failed. He came because we would in the future make mistakes. But he loved us. And he gave his life to reconcile us to himself. And friend, you need confess Christ as Lord. You need to acknowledge that he is who he says he is. And you need to believe that God raised him from the dead and ask him to forgive you. Now here's the thing. Peter showed up, right? If we keep reading on the story, we know he shows up. And look, it was a hard day for Peter, but he received grace. And so we need to respond to this message of grace. It, it, it's something you have to do and that God wants you to. So the, these women were sent with the message of grace And they become blown away by the power of God. And this is where it starts to get a little strange. Look at verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, you have a modern translation of the Bible, right? If you look past verse 8, it's, usually says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. This is because the Bible translated, this is kind of their way of saying, hey, we don't know if these last several verses, 9 through 20, are from Mark or not. Now, if you have an older translation like the King James Version, which I know some of us hold dear, right? I know some people who say, if it ain't King James, it ain't Bible. And, you know, this is a reason to maybe consider changing your mind. There's no such mention, right, at all of that. It just goes straight from verse 8 to verse 9. So if you're skeptical of the Bible, and you're, and you're like, hey, wait, wait a second, Billy, you're telling me that I could be reading the Bible, and then there's just going to be this whole big chunk that's not even supposed to be in the Bible, but you print it there? Fair question. Okay, that's a fair question. And you may be wondering, how can we trust the Bible at all then? And this is a point at which we come to in Scripture that, that, that we can maybe gain a bit more perspective on how we can trust the Bible. And so just as a, an aside, we're going to do just a brief primer on the Bible, kind of like a, a biblical authenticity 101. 
this is to help us understand if we can trust God's word. So let's just take the New Testament for a second. All of the original 27 books of the New Testament are gone, okay? They're all gone. We don't have anything that says uh, Mark signed it himself. Like, this is Mark's handwriting. We, we don't have that. We've got nothing that has Paul's autograph on it. But what we do have are translations of it. We have very old manuscripts. The modern language when the Bible was written was Greek. And today we have over 5,700 manuscripts of the New Testament. Now, to be sure, some are fragments. Some are just sections, but there's 5,700 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, and some go as far back as the second century. There's a fragment of the Gospel of John that is verbatim correct and accurate that's from the year 99. Now, those are the ones in the original Greek, but today we have over 25,000 different manuscripts across different languages, all looking at the New Testament. The earliest bound put together all in one New Testament is from the year 350. So what we're reading about happened in the first century, and relatively soon after that, it was all put together as one. So, so to put it in perspective, right? I just gave you a whole lot of information. Let's make it condensed down to make sense. If you go back to college or high school, you maybe remember Homer's Iliad. Next to the New Testament... We have more copies of Homer's Iliad than any other ancient document. There's 1,757 of them, but the first copy we have wasn't written until about 400 years after Homer wrote it. One Greek historian, Herodias, is widely considered the most reliable and valuable resources we have in ancient history. We only have 109 copies of it. The first copy came 1,000. 250 years after it was written. So when you want to think about the scope of material that we have on the New Testament, it's 75 times more than any other ancient writer. The average time for most of these manuscripts from their original source is like 700 years. But here, it's within a very, very small time frame. Again, we have fragments of the Gospel of John from the year 99. That's crazy. Now, here's what's amazing. Even if we didn't have any of these manuscripts, right, even if we didn't have 25,000 manuscripts, if we look at the early church fathers and we look at their writings, we find over, no joke, one million quotations of the New Testament that we could take and easily assemble the entire New Testament. Now, at this point in our little lecture, None of this requires any faith on your behalf. You just have some facts. You can look at it on your own, but there is no ancient literature that has the breadth and distance that the New Testament does. This is something that God in his kindness has preserved through martyrs who were willing to give their life that you could hold the word of God, through different languages and cultures and generations. Now, you might be saying, okay, that's great, Billy, but why does the King James Version have this whole big section, and why does my Bible put it in brackets? Well, that's because when King James sent his guys out to put, make his translations, they used a later medieval text as the basis for their work, and it had this section in there. So when modern biblical translators started to look through older manuscripts, they saw that the earliest ones didn't include this section. 
And so some scholars think that what happens is you get to verse 8, and then it's just over. You're like, well, that's weird, Mark. What about all the other stuff, right? Because if you read the other Gospels, you know that Jesus did a whole lot more. There's more things that happen. You're like, what about Thomas? Like, what about all the things that we know? Now, again, scholars think that they took some different pieces together and kind of assembled a more palatable ending. Again, this may lead to some debate, and maybe it leads to a little bit of skepticism from you, but here's the thing. So if we take all 25,000 of these manuscripts, the only differences that we see between them basically equate to typos. And what this means is, is that if you have a modern translation of God's Word, so like the NIV, the ESV, the, the New American Standard, the NLT, if you have a modern translation, you can be confident because it is over 99% accurate to what we believe the original writers wrote. If we look at this instance, what we see is basically, again, just a cut and paste from the other Gospels. It's not wrong, it's just that Mark didn't write it. But, so, so why is this here, right? Again, because we think some medieval guy got there and was like, nah, I don't like the way this ends. And it makes sense, because again, let's look at verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, this end is a little abrupt, right? People kind of look at it, and they're like, uh, so much more happened. Why doesn't Mark say anything, right? But personally, I think Mark meant to end it like he did in verse 8. Because Mark loves it when people are blown away by the power of God. That's his favorite thing, is to see people blown away by the power of God. We've gone through Mark for a a long time, right? And we've seen this over and over again. When Jesus calmed the sea, the people were filled with great fear. When Jesus cast the demons into the pigs, they were afraid. When he healed the woman of the hemorrhage, she came with fear and trembling. When Jesus walked on water, they were terrified. The transfiguration, they're terrified. Marching toward Jerusalem, Mark says, they're amazed and terrified. So he gets to the end of his book, and he's like, I've presented Jesus and his sinless life. I've given you some of the things that he taught. I've shown you how he went to the cross. A centurion said, truly, you are the son of God. Then he victoriously rises from the grave and women are blown away. Boom, mic drop, gospel over. That's awesome. That's how Mark ends his gospel. This is the best way to end the gospel for Mark. This is magnificent for him because nothing beats seeing people blown away by God. And I love it too. Really, I do. Now, the uncomfortable part of this is it says they said nothing to anyone. And just to be clear, obviously they did. Right? I've read ahead. They do. What it means is that having just been in the presence of an angel who says that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and they're walking away, just blown away, they did not at that moment storm up to the steps of the temple and say, he's alive! They were scared. It was a tad bit overwhelming for them. And before we look down on them, there's many of us who've come in here saying that we love Jesus, and we believe that he rose from the grave, and yet, 
We've not told anyone that for months. And I know for many of us, we have reasons. Well, my employer hates Christians. I, I just can't bring it up. Look, Billy, I know we just had Thanksgiving, and maybe I should have said something, but my mom is so antagonistic. What will she think of me? I, I, I get it. And so did these women. It was a bit much. And, and they needed some time to process, but they did speak up. And if you came in these doors, being convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, then this is a morning we should celebrate. It's the best news that the world has ever heard. And today we honor Jesus by asking ourselves, what are the things that Jesus says that I don't trust? What are the things that he's called me to that I don't do because I'm just not sure? It feels scary or it's hard. If we believe, if we believe Jesus Christ rose from the grave, all of us, right, not just the professional Christians, all of us are sent to share the message of grace. And should you need some time, you're thinking, hey, I got, I got to process this, then you're in good company. But at some point, at some point, we need to speak up. Now, if you've come in these doors not having been convinced, I hope that if nothing else, maybe you think, this book's a little bit more legit than you thought? If not, I, I mean, maybe you're just thinking, hey, I always thought it was some rushed together thing. May you see there's actually great evidence for the fact that this book is as it was written. And if what it says is true, then you need to respond to it. And so I'd invite you to read and come back and ask questions. Look around. Our God has got great big shoulders. He knows, he understands that it is a step of faith. But I will tell you, you may be surprised and you may find yourself blown away by the power of our God. As I look at my life of faith, some 20 years um, that I have walked with Jesus, I have failed more times than I would ever like to consider. I've hurt people I love. I've thought wrong things about others. I've not acted in ways that have brought honor to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But now, decades in, I am more in love with Jesus than I could have ever imagined. I am more amazed at His grace. And I am incessantly, increasingly, more blown away by the power of God. And friend, I want that for you. And it can be yours. The thing is, I know I've been up here talking a lot. Here's the reality. I'm simply a sinner who is saved by grace. And you could be too. You just have to ask. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are blown away by your power. You stilled the raging seas. You healed the sick. You caused the blind to see. But more than that, Lord, you have conquered the grave. 
And this Advent season, as we long for, yearn for you to return, it feels like our world can't get any bleaker. And Lord Jesus, you show us your grace. You make it real and abundant. Would you stir us to look back to see the ways that you have been faithful so that we might look forward with great hope. I pray for those who are doubting today. Maybe they, like these women, have the best of intentions. Their heart is filled with, I don't know. Would they see the power of the resurrection and would it give them confidence? Would they see the welcome, Lord, the invitation of Jesus? Even when Thomas was doubting, Jesus didn't ridicule him but said, come and see. Place your hands in my side. Fill the holes in my hands. Would we see and believe? And would we go from this place blown away by your power? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.